Sport Calgary members have access to resources such as marketing on social media, blog entries, features, and placement on the events listing. Become a member. It's easy and free. Visit sportcalgary.ca slash members. Hey, kids. How you holding up? How you doing? You, you good? You handling phase two good? Are, are we still social distancing, I'm hoping? Wearing a mask, doing all those sort of things? Um, crazy. Crazy, crazy, crazy. We are over 50 podcasts now. Uh, we started this uh, the middle of March as a as a diversion, as something to take your mind off of uh, what what has become a, a worldwide issue. And uh, boy, the world is it's, it's been crazy, hasn't it? Uh, we hope that this little podcast, this original six feet conversation podcast, has given you some distraction, has uh, maybe taught you a few things about Calgary and sports in Calgary, or inspired you, or made you laugh, or uh, any. That was the whole thing. We just wanted to do something about Calgary, about sports in Calgary, involving people in sports in Calgary. And we got another one today. We got another one today. Uh, full disclosure: uh, I work with this gentleman, uh, not directly, but we're in the, the same company. Uh, I have known him for a long time. I have worked with him in in previous lives. Uh, he is a former uh, beat writer, newspaper guy. He is a former internet guru, a uh, a dot com guy, if you will, and now is a champion general manager in the National Lacrosse League. Of course, I speak of one Mike Board. Yes, Bordy. Uh, Bordy used to uh, work for both the Sun and the Herald. Uh, was one of the first people ever hired by the Calgary Flames to run um, what would become Flames.com, the website, um, and really put a lot of the pieces in, in place that became Flames TV, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then when the Flames CSEC purchased the Roughnecks, he became the general manager. And most recently, they're defending champions. They're defending champions. Bordy and I go way back. We used to do Flames games on the radio together. Uh, a, a real good guy. One of my favorite, favorite, favorites. And and I love this conversation. I really do. Because um, it's it's two guys just kind of sitting at, you know, when they talk about sports talk radio, we were always told good sports talk radio is three people in a car, two in the front seat and the listeners in the back. And uh, the listener is, is just listening to everything, the two guys in the front. That's a little bit of what this is. This was a lot of fun. And by the way, uh, if you're still looking for something to binge, uh, there's a uh, recommendation very late in the podcast from the two of us, but we couldn't recommend it any higher, high, more highly. So we'll get to that in just a second. Do want to remind everybody to check out Sport Calgary this week in sport for the latest news and updates in the Calgary sports community. You can get that, subscribe to it at sportcalgary.ca. He is the general manager of your Calgary Roughnecks of the NLL. Here's Mike Board. How's How's month three of the pandemic treating the general manager of the roughnecks versus month one well i think it's a little less busy although we have our annual general meeting coming up um the first few days when we canceled you know our or put our season on pause so to speak um that was pretty hectic we had guys literally on the way to airports and things like that and the league was you know, debating what to do. And it was, it was the morning after the NBA had had their issues. So we were scrambling. Uh, one player <clears throat> was flying out of Detroit and literally when I reached him on the phone, he had just gotten through security <laughs> and I said, okay, go get your bag and you can go back home. So uh, that was pretty hectic. The first few days I think were, were really hectic because there was so many unknowns and it was such a quick happening 
Um, but uh, so it's slowed down since then, but it's been planning to restart since that point, really. Yeah. And and for clarification for this podcast, you remain defending NLL champions, correct? Is that is... Yes. Now that we're not having playoffs, we can claim that. Um, we would have loved to have been able to finish things off, but uh, we'll get another crack at it next year. It was kind of feels rather weird. It's a little bit weird, but we're, we're not going to complain. It's not the same, nor should it ever be considered the same, but I'm wondering, Mike, how much having gone through an NHL lockout and, and actually, you know, in, in fairness, in your life, you've been through a couple of labor issues. What did that help at all? Did that, you know, were you, were you a little bit more, I don't know, uh, clairvoyant of what was going on because you've been in that position before? Yeah, I think knowing sort of what work stoppages look like and, and, and those kinds of things, I think that actually helped. Um, I think what, is critical in any situations like this is communication with players and, you know, we, and our coaches and things. So that was sort of the first thing, you know, once we settled in and said, okay, don't get on planes, we're going to have a conference call in, you know, at five o'clock tonight for everybody. Uh, and we went through a whole bunch of things and, you know, and a lot of questions we couldn't actually answer at the time, but very important communication, I think was, uh, you know, and that was the first sort of strategy that we put in place. And then we kept that up for, you know, we'd have weekly calls for probably the first month. Um, and since that point, I've just, I randomly kind of call players on a daily basis, you know, three a day and touch base, see how they're all doing and, and let them know what's going on from a league standpoint and from an organization standpoint. Kind of in fairness, though, to that question, in those other situations, logically something could end at any moment, right? Two parties just had to get, that's not this, right? It's, it's not like the end of the pandemic's just around the corner. If two people agree. Yeah, exactly. It was, it, it, I mean, it was a tough decision, I think for the league to, to make at that time, but you know, once the NBA sort of said, this is what's going on and Mm. it became, I, I don't know. I think for sports became very real in that when the NBA uh, game got canceled, um, you know, and I, I, it, all the right decisions were made. Um, and now it's how, you know, how are we going to deal with this? And there were, there still is too, so many unknowns that yeah. it's very hard to sort of plot a path as you know, to, to say, yeah, here's how this is going to look. So those were the, a lot of the questions, you know, were, you know, how were salaries going to work for players? What were bonuses going to look like performance bonuses, all those kinds of things come out of the woodwork sort of, you know, in the two to three weeks after that. But, um, you know, the big question was, are we going to do playoffs and what's that going to look like? So, you know, the players, the players, while we're saying, you know, be safe. And I I can't tell you how many times I said, you know, wash your hands and cough into your sleeve and all those kind of things. Um, And they're, they were very good about it. And, you know, some of them have kids, they all have parents. Uh, So, you know, they kind of, felt the seriousness of it. And I don't know that we had particularly, you know, realized how serious this was going to be. We were in Toronto on, you know, Sunday, the Sunday before that uh, season was put on pause and we all flew back home, um, you know, through crowded airports, all those kind of things. So, you know, we, we said, look, uh, we brought our medical team in, you know, anybody with any sort of symptoms that you didn't have prior to this and that. And, and, uh, and we uh, we did 
we did a fair bit of, you know, conversations early to calm people down to a degree. Mm. And then, uh, you know, ask them their thoughts about return to play. And I think it's important to ask the players what they think of, you know, what's it going to look like when we return? Or do you, uh, you were a beat reporter, you covered the flames, you've been around athletes. Now you manage athletes, except you manage NLL athletes. For the benefit of our audience, can you just explain what that's like? Because, again, your best player still has a 9-to-5 day job. Your coach has a 9-to-5 day job. They're pro athletes, but they're not pro athletes as we know it, right? Yeah, I'd have to be careful because if I say they're part-time athletes, they will tell me they're full-time athletes with part-time work in sports. sure. So that's the best way to put it. They do – you know, there's there's guys, gosh, we have such a diverse group. We have guys who are plumbers. We have we have doctors. We mm-hmm. have you know, engineers. We have uh, electricians and construction managers. And, you know, and we have some guys who are in, still in school. So uh, managing and juggling their time schedules with travel and things like that is one of the big, biggest tasks we have. Um, you know, and it's, and sometimes it's hard. They're asking to get off work, you know, on a Friday every day for six months or seven months. So, um, it gets a little tricky for them and we just, we have to be flexible. It's not, uh, it's not, you know, we're not practicing every day and we realize guys are going to miss practice. And, you know, from my standpoint, that's the way to treat this. Uh, coaches will tell you different. We need everybody on the practice floor. We blah, 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 blah. Yeah. But, uh, you know, we, we manage and, uh, and I think, you know, that's like any of the general managers and people who work for teams in the NLL, they'll tell you that, that the travel logistics are the trickiest part of the job. Well, sure they are. Sure they are. But are they, is there any sense of, you know, is there a, a, not a positive, but are they more grounded? Like I said, you, you've seen other pro athletes, you know, you know what it can be like sometimes, right? Do you find your athletes are a little more grounded? Yeah, and 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 that's true. Uh, I would say like they're they're you know they're they're not used to flying on you know chartered planes and things like that. I never have really. Right. So they're they're they're. I don't want to say they're they're you know super working class or anything like that. But they're they you know if flights get delayed or canceled or things like that, they don't panic. It's it's you know our our captain Dane Dovey says, "Bordy, it's just life in the NLL." Yeah. So. You know they're they're very they're they're pretty good about it and uh you know i mean they still as athletes need recovery time and they you know the travel cuts into that and so we we do a lot of work with them on that and they're really good with it like you know sunday is usually a travel day back from a game so you're it's not really a recovery day because you're flying so now monday is your recovery day tuesday is your workout in the gym wednesday is a heavy workout know thursday a light one and then we practice friday and so and it starts all over so working with you know our our strength coaches and and doctors and things like that we you know we try and keep these guys you know and you got to remember they have to go for physio and things and they're at nine to five jobs so they're you know they're doing physio either first thing in the morning or at lunch or in the afternoon so it's it's a bit different for them but uh you know they're a pretty good bunch and you know, the thing that I find with the lacrosse players is they love to play the game. Like, it's for the love of the game. It's not necessarily the money or, you know, like championships and glory for sure. But I think they just really, like, they're just down to earth and, and really love playing the game. 
It's it's Dr. Manning, right? Dr. Manning, yes. What's it like managing a doctor? <laughs> because, <laughs> like, I'm sure you're going to call him and go, hey, listen, I got some COVID advice for you. And he's like, Bordy, let me give you the COVID advice, right? <laughs> As a matter of fact, I called him. He was one of the first guys I called uh, after our medical team. And I said, hey, like, you're in that locker room with those guys more than I am, like, do you want to talk about COVID or whatever? And he said, sure, I'll jump in, but let our medical team do this and blah, blah, blah. He actually was able to impart the, you know, the seriousness of, hey, let's do the social distancing, obey your lockdowns, do this kind of stuff. And he kind of explained what he was going through to the guys. Yeah. You know, like we're doing some virtual stuff, but, you know, we're not seeing patients. It's, you know, if you need physio, like, like you're probably not going to get it right now. So like you're just little and coming from a teammate, it was actually kind of an advantage. It was pretty good. Oh, I imagine. But, but like, has he ever got hurt? Like, does he ever get a knee injury and he go, Hey, listen, Borty, I'm hurt. Like I know I'm. Uh, yeah. Yeah. He has a, well, he has a pretty good relationship with our uh, medical team. That's yeah. for sure. Uh, he actually did have a hip issue that had some surgery a while back and He's he's a beast too. He, yeah. He's a bike rider and a like a gym guy, and like he's always been fit. Um, and they said, well, it's probably going to be you know eight weeks to get back to regular. And he kind of said to them, it, it'll be six. You know, like I, 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 that's how I feel. It's my body, but you know. So, and sure enough, he was back in six. But you know, it's uh, it, he's uh, he's really good. And, and guys on the team will ask him stuff too. Sometimes I'm like, ah. You know, you're a player. He should go through the medical guys, but he's just he's just that kind of guy. So oh, for sure. And all joking aside, like it, it kind of underscores what you said just a moment ago about why they do this. Let let's lay all the cards on the table. He's busy enough. He does not need to be flying from what Vancouver, right? To to right. Calgary on weekends or wherever else to play a sport. He could be okay on his own. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, even when you know he he was playing for us and and had a choice of you know different medical schools for residency and he picked Calgary because there was less travel he could get his you know he could get his schoolwork done. I mean I remember him being in training camp we were at the Saddle Dome and I walked into the media room where we're having lunch or whatever and he's got his books out like he's studying for some exam on Monday. Yeah. So he managed his time extremely well and and did working in uh, a clinic here in Calgary for a while before moving back home. But uh, um, yeah, he does. It's not like he needs the income or, or anything like that from, from the NLL to, to, to live a great life. No. Um, Listen, uh, while I got you here, where, okay. Where did young Mike board cut his teeth? Where did you grow up? I grew I was born in Peterborough, but I spent most of my youth and teen era in uh, Brampton, Brampton, Ontario. Okay, so, so you, are you part of that Ontario lacrosse fabric? Yeah, I we being born in Peterborough, you were pretty much given a stick as soon as you could walk. Yeah. So, uh, and um, you know, my aunts and uncles and dad and all his family had played the game. So, um, and at that time, I mean, I'm an older guy. Like, we it was two sports. Uh, you know, two or three, like in the summer, you know, you'd play some baseball, you'd play lacrosse. I played a little bit of soccer, but, mm-hmm. uh, and, and winter was kind of the hockey thing. Yep. Uh, but it stopped when hockey stopped, you put that bag away, 
you got out your stick again. And so it was always two sports. Uh, and lacrosse was, was always one of my favorites. I just, just had so much fun with it. So, um, yeah, I'd say I'm part of that Southern Ontario golden horseshoe lacrosse community. And, and it's, it is a little hard for an Albertan or somebody from not the West coast, but kind of the prairies to appreciate the culture of lacrosse, right? Especially box lacrosse as it, as it was. And I, Maybe you have a theory. I've never understood why Ontario and BC, why those two separate areas. You know, I don't, I think the programs there and, and lacrosse there was, was, you know, ingrained almost like it was yeah. one of the things that those communities did all the time. Yeah. I think Ontario more so than, than even, you know, Vancouver and, and, uh, and Victoria, which are hotbeds. I just think it's, they, they've had a longer tradition. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been there for so long and, you know, it's smaller communities. Like, uh, you know, I look at a Peterborough and, and they still draw, you know, 4,000 people to their games on a, on a Thursday night. Right. So in the summer league. So I, I think it was more, it's just a longer history. I think, you know, Alberta and some of the prairies like, uh, Saskatchewan and, and Manitoba has done extremely well to, start growing their programs and you know i think it's just it's it's time um you know the talent gap is a little bit different between those problems the prairies and and the other provinces but that gap is lessening for sure so how far did you go in in sport because i'll leave it open-ended and let you tell me about your exploits as a hockey player uh hockey player was not very long because we took uh we ended up doing a lot of skiing so hockey kind of fell by the wayside but I got to, I think it was first year Peewee, uh, did play against Wayne Gretzky at one point. Um, That's a claim to fame. Yeah, well, it was an interesting game. I think we, I was a goalie. Um, I think we lost 6-2. He didn't score, but he had six assists. So you can Bordy, probably... Bordy, the story is I kept, I shut out Wayne Gretzky. That's the story. <laughs> yeah, my storyline's probably not right, but... Yeah, he was uh, like. How old were I you? I remember going to. I remember going to a tournament uh, in. I think the tournament was in Brantford. It might have been in Brantford. Okay. And on the the Toronto Star used to have a magazine on their in Saturday's paper. Yep. Called the Star Weekly, and we're driving out to the to a game there, and here's this guy Wayne Gretzky, and he's on the front of Star Weekly, and you know we're. We're basically peewee novice, sort of peewee age, right? Yeah. Um, he was long gone after, like I, th- I think he only played half a season of peewee and then just started jumping up. But um, yeah, it was it was it was a lot of fun. Wow. Actually. That that would have been to, to reflect back on that now. Like it's got to be kind of weird, right? Like you know. Yeah, like at the, at the time when you're that young and you're a kid, you don't you don't realize that what you know you know the guys good you can tell yeah yeah but you don't you don't know he's gonna you know lead the nhl in in you know points and and the oilers to all those cups and like all kinds oh, of no. things like you you just don't imagine it but i i do remember he could cross center and you know let a wrist shot go or a slap shot go that would go over the net so <laughs> Um, that was a first. <laughs> when I saw that, I went, okay, I better pay attention to this guy. 
Now, you, so, your your team's parents weren't that group of parents that you know famously threatened him or his team or whatever or anything like that. No, you know what I mean? Those no. stories they used to in the autobiographies, right? Of all the 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 jealousy that was there for him. Yeah. No, not 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 at all. It was, you know, we, I I I only played. I think I only played once against him. He did play lacrosse in Bradford, so I, I did play against him in lacrosse. But oh, okay. Um, yeah, he played. He played lacrosse. He had, uh, uh, you know, I know as good a hockey player as he was. I don't think he was twelve months a year at that point. You know, the, no, 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 no. So, so he was doing other sports like baseball and lacrosse and things like that during the summer. So, but no, we never had any issues. It was uh, um, our team, and you know, like I've talked to guys because I grew up with a lot of those guys that, you know, when things happen, you sort of go, wow. We actually got to play against the guy when he was young. That's kind of cool, right? So, oh, that's an amazing we, uh, story. That's fantastic. Never bad feelings. No. So, but do you yeah. remember anything about him as a lacrosse player? Yeah, he was very skilled. Okay. Again, um, no surprise. Um, you know, lacrosse was a pretty tough game, and I don't, not knocking Wayne, but I don't think he was. Uh, he was out there for fitness more than yeah. You know, I'm not going to get my wrist broken or you know take a lot of a lot of punishment but highly skilled and uh and quick um you know and, and and you know their program was their lacrosse program was pretty small so they weren't you know a top-notch team in in those divisions but um you know you could you could see how he you know translated the hockey skills he had into lacrosse and a little bit vice versa i suppose so you you finish hockey at peewee how far do you go with lacrosse uh, i played junior a okay Okay. Played junior A and a uh, couple games in senior when I was a junior, and uh, and then uh, decided I better go to college oh. and uh, university. So, um, kind of got on that path and left the game for a little bit and picked it up uh, actually again when I got back to Calgary in a masters lacrosse. So, so when you're playing junior lacrosse, there's no at that time there's no NLL right like there's no pro loop. As we know, there it. was a small pro loop, okay. uh, really small, uh, sort of the beginnings almost okay. of the origin. Uh, what yeah. the NLL has morphed into, uh, you know, maybe four to six teams kind of thing. Um, so, and then there were a couple of games at Maple Leaf Gardens that I went to, um, hmm. as I recall. I think it's the Toronto Tomahawks, but I may have that name wrong. But, uh, but it was a lot of the guys that we had grown up watching play right. who are now pros because that had started so and they still played in the summer leagues and things like that so pretty familiar names when he went but yeah there wasn't really I, and I think it's the same today when you played box across there's a little bit of field that you played in Ontario and guys were you know looking at hey maybe I can get a scholarship to a U.S. Yep. university kind yeah. of thing right so that was more of the, the thought process back then okay so that's the sport but Mike Board, you know, away from sports, were you into sports? Were you, you know, did you read a lot uh, or were you into sports? Because eventually you become a sports writer. I just wanted to know if you were like a big time sports fan. Uh, yeah, I was a, I, I, I was a fan. I was a, I was a big CFL guy. Okay. Uh, for sure. Um, and, you know, NFL to a degree, but I was, I was kind of the Argos that were, they were kind of big. We'd go to a lot of Argo games and, uh, you know, watched a lot of college sports uh, as well, and and so yeah, I was a fan. I and I never 
started out to be a sports writer, I don't think. It oh. was more news side of things that okay. I really liked. But, but you were going into the uh, media. Like, you went to become a journalist? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah Ryerson. And, and, uh, and I got out and really I was a news guy. Um, but had this interest in sports and strangely enough i ended up in fort mcmurray where you were you did everything you did news you did oil and gas you did you know court and you covered the oil barons for example so that was kind of my first taste of sports writing and and uh and it kind of evolved from there so that begs a question then you worked at the fort mcmurray today i did did you know curtis phillips I knew Curtis Phillips very well. I played basketball with Curtis Phillips. Okay, well, everybody who knows Curtis played basketball with Curtis. And, of course, <laughs> I heard the requisite stories of Curtis when he would travel to the United States and seek out street ball games. Anyway, for, for anybody who's been up to Fort McMurray, they know exactly what we're talking about. <laughs> he, he's a legend somewhat in his own mind, but a legend nonetheless. Um, yeah. So when do you morph into journalist to sports writer? Um, you know, that was an interesting transition, to be honest. Like we, I'd, I'd come from Fort McMurray and ended up at the Calgary Sun, mm-hmm. uh, covering the OCO 88, the Olympics, okay. um, as a news writer, as a beat writer. Yep. Uh, and then in 19, I believe it was early, late 1896, 1987, the Herald knocked on the door and said, we want you to join our Olympic reporting team. And so I made the jump over to the Herald the Olympics end and we wrap things up and it was probably, I don't know, six months of full-time stuff to do. Uh, and they said, so, you know, what do you want to do now? And I said, well, I'd move over to sports and they sort of started me out as a junior sports guy. And, and I'd done some sports writing through some of the Olympics just because you're on site. Right. And uh, yeah, it evolved into, because I started doing, you know, the dinos and then uh and some golf coverage and then moved into covering the cfl with murray rao and then uh, <laughs> uh on to hockey with eric Tachek and al Mackey and that whole crew well it's funny because they've been on the podcast and you know one came to do skiing and some n- nobody ever really came out here to do hockey they all ended up in hockey which i thought was kind <laughs> of funny um yeah but, but just clarify one thing so you worked for both newspapers around the olympics is that how it works yes so the lead-in yeah. was for the sun and the actual event you were over at the herald yes wow yeah yeah by i was probably a year at the herald prior to the olympics actually the opening ceremonies right so yeah it was uh it was really competitive back then Oof. um and uh the, the the sun wasn't happy that i was making the jump but economically and Career-wise, it was a pretty good move. And and again, we touched on it in this podcast before, but what a, you know, I often talk about the golden age of Calgary sports broadcasters. Like, you know, uh, you had Ed Whalen and you had Kenny Newins and you had Russ Peak and all those guys. On the newspaper side, holy crap. Like, you had yeah. Johnson, Dehatchuk, Larry Tucker. You mentioned Rowe. I mean, there's, the, in the 80s, there was a real strength of sports writing in this city, too. Yeah, it was. It was. It was really. It was actually. I thought excellent coverage, hmm. and the writers were so good. Um, I like that. That you know, I know you go to school and you learn how to do things and whatever, but the experience with working with pros like that 
just accelerates any, you know, anything you're doing yeah. um, because they are consummate professionals. Um, you know, we you get on the road and, you know, you're with these guys from the LA times and they're these famous sports writers that you write. And then, you know, you go into Detroit and you're meeting Mitch album and you're like, Oh my gosh, like these guys are all the, the top. Exactly. <laughs> the creme the creme. Yeah. And I tell you, it was a, it was a fascinating experience and, you know, Cam Cole was, was up at the journal and, um, like they're just, I could Terry Jones. There's so many guys Oh, that, in Alberta. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Like yeah. it was a cluster. I was just talking about Calgary, but Alberta, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah, John was, short was up there. You had some, you had opinion guys. You had really good beat guys, Dick Shubay. Yeah. I mean, there was, there's lots, it was a, it was just really cool how Alberta and, and so many that came that left from here, right? Like wasn't Jeff Blair here. Simmons was here, you know, on the yes. broadcast side, Ron McLean. I mean, on and on it goes like, this is a pretty yeah. good market for that, right? Yeah, exactly. Like it, it was. Uh, I think it, the the people made it. Like, like, yeah, we were. You know, you battle each other for the scoop, so mm. to speak, uh, every day. But you know, when it came down to it, you know, everybody was, everybody were, they were you were friends, yeah, and you worked hard and and you learned from you know each other, and it was it was. It was a really, it was a fun experience, like for sure. Do you have a specific '88 memory or story uh, at work related? Is there something that you you covered that stand? And the reason I say that is I was with Larry Tucker a couple months ago, and he he of course he's the guy that found Eddie the Eagle. Like if Larry doesn't write it, nobody knows Eddie the Eagle. And yeah. even Jimmy yeah. Wells was on the program, and and he was talking about the big Kodak. Uh, processing thing, uh, plant that they had over at the corral, at the corral, or by are on the stampede grounds. Like, there's crazy stuff that happened, right? Yeah, mine. I I was more on the news side, and yeah. and there's two things that stood out. First, um, Frank King, who was the, right. the leader, yep. and Bill Pratt. I had pretty good relationships with them, and I did a story on Frank King running in the Boston Marathon. Hmm. Um, it was. And it had nothing really to do with the Olympics, but it was a profile on a, what this guy is like. And that was a lot of fun. Um, the other was there was a skier who was who died on the hill at Nakiska. And I happened to be at Nakiska that day. Wow. And Herman, and it was it was sad. Like, it, yeah. I, I was surprised that they even held the events, but they went ahead with the events. And Herman Zerbrigan was the star on the slopes. And my job was to interview him about what happened on the hill. And that was, I mean, he was very good um, and very accommodating, but it was tough. Like there were tears and eyes and those kind of things. Sure. So those are two that I remember. Um, I do, you know, there's so many people that you met within that OCO 88 organization that, that were really good people, mm. uh, worked hard. Um, you know, we, we worked hard on the, ticket controversy with McGregor and, and things like that. But, um, I think overall what I took away was the spirit of the city. Um, like it was fascinating just, you know, to be around town and the, you know, people had said, you'll never be able to do this on budget. You'll bubble. Yeah. And it was one of those Calgary said, we can do it. And it was really that, that stood out for me as saying, this is a great city. Well, it's transformation. It was transformational, right? 
Like yeah, people, oh, for sure. People talk about sport being transform, community transformation and community project. It really was. The 88 games, probably more so than anything else, were the epitome of that. Yeah, I would I would agree. And it was, you know, Calgary had booms and busts and all kinds of, you know, economic ups and downs and things. And I don't know, I you, you think about the thousands and thousands of volunteers that lined up to say, yep, we're going to make this work in the city. And, and you know, to your point, it, 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 I couldn't agree more that it creates a community spirit that never goes away. Right, right. So after that, you move over to sports, you dabble around, but you end up, when do you end up on the Flames beat? I was just, I knew you were going to ask me that. I'm trying to think when that would have happened. Probably, I don't know, in around 2004 or five, probably. No, 94, 95. 94, 95. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, because I know where you were in 2004, 2005, and we're going to talk about that, but no, yes. 94, 95. So yes. now, but would you have been around for 89? Were you supporting it all in 89? Because that would have been an all-hands-on-deck thing, right? Yeah, supporting again. Uh, that was in the year after the Olympics, so I was still on the news side. Oh, so really? I was okay. doing the fan-related kind of pieces gotcha. around, in and around yeah. the Dome and, yeah. and those kind of things, um, which was kind of the door opening for me to get into sports gotcha. um, because I had to get, you know, credentials to get in there. And that's when I started meeting more of the, the sports guys and, you know, they gave me some great ideas for stories and, you know, so that was kind of the, the bridge, but it was very much all hands on deck. 90, 94, you know, that mid nineties, uh, what a time, uh, not necessarily from a, a positive standpoint, that would have been about the young guns era. That would have been the first, First of the NHL labor issues too, right? Yes. Yeah. And it was, that was, I would describe that time as tumultuous, really. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, you know, there, <clears throat> there were players, you know, want, there was, there was the money struggle was going on at the NHL player level. Um, <clears throat> the flames were, <clears throat> excuse me, were kind of rebuilding and, and, you know, trying different coaches and different general managers and things like that. Um, so it was, it was an interesting time. Um, but again, when you go, when you're that close to it, you still meet some great people along the way, you know, Todd Simpson, I think of, and, yep. you know, Adelisco, another one, um, you meet some of those guys through those, those stages in, in their, in their careers. And, and it's, uh, it's, Pretty interesting. Like there was always stories to write. There weren't always positive because the Flames didn't win all the time. But right. um, you know, the the again the I didn't you know the the team had some uncertainty and you know they needed to you know Harley Hotchkiss made some public pleas and you know those kind of things. Um, you know, uh, which is another guy who I got to know through that whole thing who's a terrific man and we all miss him mm -hmm. for sure. Um, you know, he did a lot for the city as well, but, um, it's a, it, it was, it was a, it was an interesting time mostly because the, the, the team wasn't doing all that well. There was lots of criticism on the outside and, yeah. and you know, you're not, you don't have the right players. You, you're drafting terrible. You're doing this, you're doing that, but, um, you know, they were doing what they could with what they had. So, uh, that's how we reported it. It had to have been, and I've never asked anybody this, Forty, but the way you framed it, it begs the question. It had to be an interesting dichotomy 
uh, here you were, 88, this great Civic Pride moment, 89, a Stanley Cup. And then less than a decade later, things weren't what they were, right? Like the party was over in a way. Yeah, it was. And, and, you know, there were still, there were still, you know, world cups and, you know, events at, 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 uh, Ken Olympic park, uh, as it was called at the time, um, you know, and they had some ski events and things like that, but the, and the, and the oval, the skating and things like that, those were all still happening. Um, but not, they weren't there, there was the enthusiasm wasn't as big and, and, you know, the flames were, you know, like we said, struggling a little bit mm-hmm. to get through. Um, so it, it kind of shows again, how sports can uplift a city like winning and, and, yeah. you know, having a big festival that welcomes the world and, and, you know, what it can do to lift spirits. Yeah. Um, another question kind of off the mark, but did you ever, that's also the time with the Canadian national team. Do you ever spend much time over at hockey Canada with the, with the men's national team kind of in those waning years? Um, a little bit, but not, not as much. Um, as a matter of fact, Eric Tehachek had, uh, some pretty good contacts over there and, and knew a bunch of the people. And so he spent, he, he basically kind of looked after that between him and Al Mackey at, right. at the Heralds. So, um, yeah, the, that was those. I forgot about that actually. Well, <laughs> that it, it's, it's funny because it, to me, it's always I, I romanticize that team because it's so unique. I mean, there's nothing like it now, and um, we used to see it in the small towns, right? It would go out and travel, but you know, you would have covered Freddie Brathwaite. Freddie Brathwaite's career got you know back on track yeah. because of that and things. And it's just you know, it was, as a reporter, it would have been an interesting thing to have in your hip pocket. Geez, if there's nothing going on at the dome today, maybe I should go down to Father David Bauer if the team's in town, right? Yeah, there's they're again great guys and and great stories. Um, yeah. No, I think uh, I think I remember doing one story. I, I, Chris Lindbergh, I believe, was with yep. that program and ended up with the Flames, Flames for a yep. bit. Sure, he did. Uh, so there were some crossovers there that 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 did happen for sure. Yeah. But uh, yeah, no, that was more the other guys pretty much looked after that because he had some pretty good relationships there. To set up a story a little further on in this conversation, this is now the mid to late 90s. Um, how aware are you of a new thing called the Internet? Well, uh, starting to become aware of it. <laughs> <laughs> we were starting to follow our stories a little different, but uh, not an expert by any means. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that's about that time, right? Like. The sports world yeah. was changing. Everything was changing. At that, and, and I'm not sure, you know, for those of us who were getting our CAD vision dial-ups, there's an old Calgary reference <laughs> for you. Um, I'm not sure we knew exactly what we were in for, but it was about that time, right? The world was changing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure when they actually came in, but there were these Radio Shack little computers. The screen was, I don't know, about an inch and a half thick that you could maybe see two lines of type on. Yep. To get into a dial in line and fire it off to the paper and things like that, those were big steps <laughs> for us because we were, you know, we were filing very differently earlier than that. And then we, we, I remember we got some Macs, sort of a Mac tablet version. And, and, uh, that was a new system to learn and it was a little better. And so things were, were just creeping out at that point. So we were looking at, you know, Y2K is coming up 2000. When when 
Mike, are things going to take place in your life that are, are going to change? Because you were still reporting in the early 2000s, right? Yeah. Um, you know what? The Herald went on strike. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, we, you know, I was walking the picket lines up there with Eric Dehachuk and Al Mackey, and we had a conversation thinking, this may never end. Like this, we could be out doing this for a long time. Yeah. And, and at that point, you know, the internet, you know, the, the bigger sports entities were, you know, like the TSNs and things like that, the sports nets and whoever were, they were starting to do, you know, online newspapers and, you know, more digital kind of stuff. So we got talking about it and that's when I kind of made the little bit of a decision to say, if this doesn't end soon, I'm probably going to jump onto the digital side of things. So um, and Eric and Al Mackey both went to the Globe, the Globe Mail, um, to work as, you know, reporters on the digital side in sports. So it was kind of, I think it was all hatched walking a picket line one night up, uh, <laughs> up by the world. <laughs> a little free time on your hands, so to speak? Yeah, yeah. There's lots of, lots, lots to talk about when you're just going up and down a street, so... So tell me about the jump because, and we'll get into this, but you were the kind of the first person that I knew that worked for a team in digital, in, in, in the internet, I guess, at that point. Um, and certainly, clearly one of the first that had a, a journalistic background because I think there was a lot of guys that were tech people and, and understood coding and things like that. But when did you make that transition, Mike? Uh, you know what? I, I'm going to say it was in around 2001, 2002, maybe. Okay. Um, and it came about kind of by chance. Um, you know, I'd been covering the, the hockey team for uh, TSN a little bit, kind of freelancing more than anything. Yep. And then um, Michael Holditch, uh, who was a vice president of finance at the time at the, at, at the Flames, said, we need to have a meeting. And I said, what about? He says, the NHL is moving more into digital and we have to update our websites and we want reporters and we want this and that. He had a, they had a great vision. Him yeah. and Ken King had discussed this and had a great vision. So, you know, when I went in to meet with he and Ken, they said, we want you to still be a reporter, but you're now, we, we need to build a robust type internet concept. And, yeah. you know, the league is moving it forward. So great opportunity back, you know, covering hockey uh, you know, working for an organization, which I hadn't done it. Lots of guys were saying, Oh, gone to the dark side now. And I, I, I actually have not left. <laughs> so the dark side's been pretty good, but, um, <laughs> it was, uh, it was a big project because the flames digital presence was not, you know, it wasn't a big presence at that point. So, you know, there was a lot of work put into it and, you know, redesigning and, you know, what do things look like? And, you know, it was a, it was a real uh, building process and, and it was actually, it was a lot of hours, but it was a lot of fun. It was a one man job too, right? At the beginning, it was a one man job. It was a one man job. And I, there was, the developers were, um, I can't remember who the developers were. I think it was Telus cause they were a partner. So they had the, the, you know, the techie guys and, you mm-hmm. know, we'd say, here's, here's a design. I'd probably, you know, I draw it on a piece of paper and say, here's what the homepage, we should make it look like this and maybe find another example. And anyway, they would build it and then we'd refine it and, you know, take it to Ken and, and Michael and see what they were thinking and how, you know, did we cover all the areas and, 
And once we started, there were more and more things that, you know, evolved onto the website. It wasn't just, you know, covering the hockey team. It was, um, you know, the Flames Foundation and yep. it was, you know, better stats packages and all kinds of, of things. So it was never, never, there was really never a dull moment because it felt like it changed, you know, on a daily and certainly a weekly basis. So at that time, Mike, safe to say that the, the the website itself was really kind of your own design. It wasn't the kind of the cookie cutter that it would eventually become for leagues, right? That, that they varied right. from team to team. Yes. Yeah. Teams were free to do their own. It was just, they had a few things that they, you know, standardized had to have NHL marks and those kind of things. Yeah. But for the most part you could do, you know, your own. So we, we, you know, we looked at all the teams in the league at the time and, and, you know, kind of cherry pick the good spots from, you know, the good items and really neat things that we thought would be interesting to our, to our fans. And, and at that time, one of the biggest ones was message boards mm-hmm. and people wanted to be able to comment because here's this internet thing. And yeah. now it's, so I have an opinion. So we said we should do a message board and see what that looks like. And, you know, when the team was doing great, it was awesome. But boy, it could get, it could get nasty on there. But, uh, you know, we did, uh, it, it, it evolved so quickly. We had, you know, message boards, then things like Twitter come along and, you know, like all these new well video, right? Like when you started there, there's probably video. very little video, right? Very little. And we were, we were a little behind. I'd have to say on the video because, we just weren't ready for that big kind of thing to happen. And, um, you know, Carlos group and that we, we, you know, we ended up with YouTube pages and, you know, that evolved into flames TV eventually, which is still going today. So, and, and it was not nearly as robust as it was today. We were, you know, it wasn't everyday reporting and it was probably one or two stories video wise per day. And, you know, we were, we were a small, staff still at that point and but everybody and, was small uh, mike right like it, it's yeah. not like everybody oh, yeah. else around the league or even in sport was doing anything much different than that no no one of the teams that we were i know they're a rival of the flames but we were constantly in touch with the vancouver canucks yeah. um kevin kinghorn was a was a guy there we'd gone to league meetings and you know we kind of had the same ideas and so we'd talk and bang around ideas and he said look i think we're going full-on video next year and we're going to be pushing video and so oh, that's an interesting concept so we moved towards that mm-hmm. um, and eventually got to you know it's eventually got to where it is today under you know different guidance but the, the roots kind of started way back then not not to be and i'm not intending to be disrespectful but it must in that early i'm just thinking about that early part of the 2000s so much was coming so quickly it must have felt like at times you were drinking out of a fire hose Oh, absolutely. There's no doubt. Um, you know, there was, it was, things were coming so quickly. You didn't know what, what product to choose that would interact with the fans the best. Yeah. And, you know, was it, do you create your own video department? Do you use YouTube or Vimeo or, or whatever, one of those kind of things and, you know, rent it kind of concept and, and, you know, do you use Twitter or do you use, you know, MySpace? Do you use whatever? It was so MySpace. You didn't know which one. <laughs> you didn't know which one was actually gonna yeah. explode. Yeah. And you know, you 
the, the league had by that point uh, developed, it was still small, but they had a digital dedicated department that was growing along with the teams. And, right. you know, they kept on top of things and they would advise the teams. And, you know, like I, I can still remember going, I guess I should get on Twitter and, you know, had no clue really what it was at the time. Well, um, I, rem- I remember you got me my first newsreader. Like we were, oh, yeah. we'll get into that because we worked together doing radio games and, and you bring your laptop and you'd be reading all these stories. And I'm like, Mike, where did, where did you get this? How do you get this? And you set it up for me so I could get all the news, the sports stories, which was like, it blew my mind. I mean, I still use one today. Like it's crazy. Yeah. Oh yeah. I know it's a, uh, but I like getting back to those, like those, that was another thing I'm going, okay, how are we going to, how are you going to keep on top of yeah. what's going on in the tech business? Yeah. So that's where I ended up with these readers because there was this blog that, you know, would collect all of the new products. Aggregate. And that's and, where we got that, yeah. learn that word aggregation, right? Aggregate. And so there you go. And that, that was, uh, and that was, I, those were busy times. Like I remember going to Ken King and, and Michael and saying, okay, here's this thing called social media emerging and what do we want to do with it? Yeah. And they're like, like we were probably two hours just trying to figure out what exactly is social media and what is it going to look like? I know. And, uh, is, is all these, all actually. these kids laughing right now, listening to this podcast. Don't laugh. Like this, <laughs> the one thing that I never get the credit, I never got to give you credit for was I remember having a conversation and I'm sure it was at Shanks, you know, where we we're doing a game on the radio. Um, that we were talking about a, a TV or a broadcast deal that the Flames had just done, and I said, geez, Mike, that, that looks like a good deal. And you said, no, w- I think what we needed to do was keep the, the video rights. And I said, I didn't, un- what do you mean the video? It's your video. He goes, no, we don't, you said we don't control the video. And I just like, I, I'm like, ah, whatever. Does, and, th- you know, a decade later, whatever that was, that became everything. That's everything, right, in those deals. It's amazing. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And, and, you know, I, I mean, everybody, <clears throat> you know, the, the big sports networks have it, you know, they, they do video, like it, it all, it all changed, but I think the teams did eventually realize that, Hey, there's some proprietary stuff here that we want to yeah. be able to yeah. hang on to. And, you know, I think it's helped teams. Um, you know, I think uh, you look at, fan followings now of, you know, some of the the massive teams around the world. Let's use Man United, for example, Um, massive following. And they, they were, they were right out front of it saying, we're, we've got fans all around the world. Mm -hmm. This is how we're going to keep them. We're going to, we're going to move forward and we are going to lead the technology parade kind of concept. Right. And the NFL was very good at it as well. Um, And teams were, were very good at building their sort of reporter teams and keeping that video um, and being able to do whatever they wanted with it. Yeah. And uh, so, so there was some precedent and, you know, as the NHL evolved, it, it's, you know, that's where it's, where it is today. Did you, really. did, 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 when you were doing this, when you were growing this, because eventually you bring on some staff, not to the extent of what we see in departments today, but did you ever think that it would become almost a, rival if you will an alternative to traditional medias i you know what i that's a really good question by the way um because i was from traditional media yeah. i didn't think so yeah but 
I knew there was a possibility to make a like a like make inroads with your fans and be able to communicate with your own fans, um, you know, and some rival fans who jumped on message boards and and things like that. So I kind of looked at it as let's start providing a service for our fans and our you know ticket buyers and see where it, where it leads to right like we didn't have the, the the manpower really to compete so to speak with you know the big <clears throat> the big news networks and things like that and and papers at the time so you know we kind of focused on what can we get exclusively that they don't have which yeah. is that was a bridge that was hard for me to cross because I was part of that traditional media and said, yep. well, wait a minute, you can't not tell us something. And, the, and that wasn't the way we did it. It was more working with Peter Hanlon and the communications department to say, just give it to us first, give it to us 10 minutes ahead of yep. the press release. Yep. And we have it up and ready to go when the press release goes out. Right. So we were, you know, without stepping on toes, we were, we're trying not to step on toes and, and, you know, keep relationships with, with the media. So, that was a difficult jump, actually, but a, that's a great question. Um, well, but was, I don't think either side. Good. I don't even. I don't really think at the end of the day. I don't think either side knew what to do. I think eventually no. it was kind of like hunting around in the dark. We figured it out, but like I remember, oh my gosh, they it's on the website. Yeah, so it's their what is their team, right? Like, you know, we still had yeah. our own job. We still had our own room. You guys, I just. I ne- you know I thought it would get bigger, but I never thought it become what it is today. Never. No, thought when it. you look at what you you look at, at how it evolved, like uh, you know the NHL didn't have, for example, did not have a, a big Canadian television deal. No. So they they developed you know NHL TV basically, right? Yeah. Like their their own kind of NHL digital network. platform yeah. where where people could. That was a big step. That was a bold step, in my opinion, for the for the NHL because nobody really knew where that would evolve to, and I think in the end it helped them out mm-hmm. um, with their television contracts. Um, you know, Major League Baseball uh, they do cookie cutter, but it's it's a pretty robust group that they've put together. So there's lots of good things that have come out of it, and I would have to agree. Never thought it would have gotten to that point, but well, to it, it did. To your point, though, Mike, if you look at it, maybe the most significant technolo- technology company in the sports spectrum in the last decade is BAM. And that came right out of baseball. That was Major yeah. League Baseball's, what are we going to do with all of this? What are we going to do with all of our own content? And they create BAM, which is, I think, Disney now owns and the, the NHL uses. That might be the, the biggest technology in sport that we've seen in the last decade. Yeah, and it, it's... Like I, I, I wasn't on. Uh, I wasn't involved with the the Flames digital side at at that point when Bam came on board with the NHL. Right. But you could see the difference. Oh yeah. Um. Like it, 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 it upgraded everybody, and right. you know, it became a it became a big business. Right. right? Yeah. So, um, and it, I, I, you know, I think it's going to continue to evolve. Like I, I don't oh, want to say it's it's not it's reached. No. The internet has reached the end because no. Way back when, I never would have imagined it it would be where it is right now. No, I agree. Uh, With Mike Board, uh, General Manager of the Calgary Roughnecks, Sport Calgary acts as a resource for sports organizations with a ton of information available at sportcalgary.ca. Learn about community and coaching resources, research, jobs, and, of course, the latest in Calgary sport. So while you are blossoming 
uh, calvaryflames.com. And then on part-time, coming over with me, and we would— this is the, I never ever get to tell this story, but when I first came to Calgary, it was great. You do I do pre and post on the Flames games on the radio, but I had analysts. You were one of them. We go to Shanks, you come to the Dome, and then they took them away from me, and I hated that. I hated that. It was so much more fun. <laughs> it was always fun to have somebody at Shanks with me watching those games, and we watched quite a few games, Mike. Uh, it was, yes, it was that did. was kind of a fun little thing. Like I, I, biggest disappointment is they took that away. I, I wish. I hated that. I always liked having you guys. Mike and Pete were great, but it was great to have an analyst there. That was always fun. Yeah. The, the, well, you know what? I enjoyed those too. Like it was, it was fun because you're, again, you're, you're with colleagues and, and you're talking hockey yeah. and, you know, we're, you know, while, while Pete and, and Mike are, you know, doing the play by play and the color, we could sit back and take notes and we're, you know, chattering back and forth. Oh like, yeah. Oh, what can they do? And you know, what's going on here? And like, just, it, it was actually a it, it was a it was a fun process to sit there and watch games that way. It's a crazy thing too because I'm pretty sure you and I had to do a couple of games at Shanks that weren't televised. In 2003 2004, there were six games that year that weren't televised. That we did, I think. Yeah. So you'd yeah. have to sit, put the speaker up. We'd have to listen to Pete and Mike, and and it's not That's even right. like now where we could go on and look at shot maps and get the real time yeah. statistics and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. Like there was none yeah. of that, right? Yeah, yeah. There's ice time and courses oh, and all yeah. kinds of things that were, you know, uh, that we 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 didn't have the advantage of. I forgot about that. I remember that. I remember us being creative there. Well, yeah, but it it's weird, eh? Because it was only a couple years later that every game was on. You know, that's when Flames pay per view started, and from then on, every Flames game was available. But that, my first year in Calgary, in 0304, there was six games that weren't televised. It was crazy, mostly yeah. in Arizona. Or Phoenix at the time, <laughs> mostly those <laughs> ones because nobody cared. So anyway, Calgary, you're building Calgary Flames. What would become CalgaryFlames.com? What would become Flames TV? Brad Bannister has bought a lacrosse team. He's brought it to Calgary. It's playing the Roughnecks. Start. It's a. It's it's one of the hardest things to do. I think in the world is run a minor pro sports team in Canada. I think it's a hard thing to do. You play junior A in Ontario. Are you? Are you going, you know, when your day job's over, are you paying attention to the lacrosse in Calgary? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, both my, I got my, both my kids into it. And so I was coaching and, um, so stayed involved, you know, at the community level with, with lacrosse okay. and, and noticed to be perfectly honest, when the roughnecks got to town, that there was a spike yep. in registration and more kids wanted to play, which was which was great. We were where we live. We're part of a big. We were part of a bigger organization. So, um, you know, it burgeoned a bit, and you know, they had, we had to break things off a little bit to revamp things. And um, so, yeah, no, there was definitely I was going, and um, I'll remember. I believe the first one was 2004. They were playing Buffalo, and yep, um, there were a bunch of games uh, scheduled by Calgary Minor Lacrosse, and they said. Nope, we're going. Everyone's going to the Roughneck Championship game, and I remember taking my team, and you know the place was packed. It and was well, well, the Flames were on the run too, by the way, right? Yes, right, exactly. That's the Red exactly. Mile, exactly. Yeah, and you know it was, you know, and they win, and it's fabulous, and all those kind of things. And again, then they see a surge in in some registrations and things like that. So it was kind of, you know, it was I, I I remember talking to Brad about it, and I said, "Wow, like that was a great." crowd he says you know what with the flames on this run and like i think the city's just electrified and 
they'll they they want to come and see a championship kind of thing, right? So it was it was good for lacrosse for so, sure. So did you know Brad Bannister then at that point? A little bit. Um, knew him, you know, a, a little bit. I did uh, some freelance work for him to help him with his website at one point. Okay. Um, yep. And so, you know, and help do some writing. Like he had some players writing blogs, Caleb Toth and mm-hmm. Tracy Koloski were writing blogs and said, can you help them out? And I said, sure. So I eventually would kind of almost ghostwrite him for him and say, well, no, you don't say that that way. You say it this way. And they go, okay, well, what do you think of this? So I became an editor for them almost. <laughs> uh, so a bit of a relationship. Um, and uh, yeah, I spent a lot of time down there watching games. So is the, you know, years go on, you're building up the website. Now CSEC is all of a sudden absorbing the Stampeders, right? Like now it's the Hitman, the Flames and and the Stampeders. Um and Brad and God love him. I, you know, I respect the hell out of what he tried to do. I still, I say to this day, because I, you and I both watched the what uh, the Vipers and all the little bas- or baseball incarnations down at Foothills. You, you saw the Rads. You would have seen the Calgary eighty eights. That's just Calgary minor soccer. I mean, it's been so difficult, and and it just seemed like the Roughnecks were kind of always on the edge, weren't they? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They were. You know, it it's a it's a hard business to operate, yeah. um, and you know with travel costs and you know different things like that, league dues and like it's hard unless you've got you know a regular crowd. Yeah, you, know, you, yeah, you yeah. can't you can't have down nights and still try and pay all the bills, which you know that I think that made it tough on on Brad. Um, and I'm with you. Like he hung in there for a long time and, and put a lot of time and effort into it. So Mike board, former newspaper writer, former flame beat writer, now running a website. Websites are real now. Now websites are real. Like the whole internet was bought in. This is important. We got to be here. Now you're starting to get a bit of a staff. You're bringing on interns and then rumor on the street is flames may look at, at picking up the, you know, the roughnecks. When does your life change? When does somebody come to Mike Board and go, hey, why don't you become a general manager? Well, a bit of a long story. I'll try and keep it short. <laughs> um, I was I was on the web, uh, still working in the web, and I was talking to uh, Sean Kelso, um, who said, hey, Gordy, you were you played lacrosse, didn't you? I said, Flames yeah. he goes, PR guy. Just point that out. Flames PR guy. Oh, yeah. yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Um, and he says, Gordy, I, I, I think – I think we're looking at buying the, buying the roughnecks. I said, you gotta be kidding. He goes, yeah. And so I made some silent inquiries around the office and people were saying, yeah, we're, we're kind of in the due diligence process. And so I went into John Bean's office and said, Hey, I know a little bit about the game um, and played it a bit. Uh, anything I can help out with on the due diligence. So that's where I took the first step Yep. and they gave me a couple of projects to look at, no items like player costs, travel costs, um, you know, different areas and, you know, the CBAs and things like that. And, and uh, it all, they ended up buying the team and um, we'd had no real discussions on, you know, whether I'd be involved in the team or not. And I, John came and said, you know, do you want to be involved in the team? And I said, yeah, I'd be very interested. And he says, well, 
we think you could be the general manager. And I just about fell off my chair. (laughs) (laughs) um, So that was when the process began. So uh, big advantage having gone through the due diligence and knowing, you know, the CBA and and the the player costs and contracts and all those kinds of of things. So I had a bit of a head start, but uh, um, yeah, jumped right in and off we went. So, see, it's what I think is crazy is the idea of a media person getting into management. Having said that, I know three of you because Mike Petrie covered the the CFL at the Herald. Yeah. He got into management with the St. Peters. I remember when Chris Snow was covering the Minnesota Wild, and then he got into management, now an assistant manager with the. I believe, I don't know his complete background, but the only other one that comes to mind is Mike Mayock, who worked um, covering the NFL and then became a general manager there. This is not the typical path to leadership in professional sports, Mike. No, not not a typical path, but, you know, I, I go back and I can look at what I went through. There were a lot of coaches who I'd interviewed and spent time with. There were a lot sure. of GMs I'd sure. spent. Absolutely you know, a time with, you know, guys from, you know, not just the flames, but, you know, guys like Scotty Bowman, guys like, mm-hmm. you know, Glenn Sather. And yep. you, you, you pick up little tidbits from, from those guys uh, along the way. And it kind of gives you, it gives you a, a, a perspective on how this has to be done. Right. And, and I had, you know, Ken King and, and John Bean were awesome at giving me guidance. Um, and at, uh, as well, the GMs in the, the CSEC operation are awesome. Yeah. So yeah. if I had a question, I could, you know, I could call Huff for like John Huffnagel at the Stampeders, or I could call, um, you know, Brad Tree Living at this point and say, hey, what's going on? Brian Burke and I used to sit down and, used to kind of laugh at what well, you're fighting over that kind of money. And I said, yeah, it's just a different perspective. It's just a dollar sign. Yeah. But, uh, um, so that was very helpful being able to, to sit with those kind of guys. Mike, how much do you think it benefited you? Because at the newspaper, you're a writer. When you came to the flames, you came as a writer, but a content creator for a website, but would have been leading a department and would have had to have done budgeting and HR and all the things that go along with that. Yeah, I think I think that helped uh, immensely. I knew how really how the operation worked from you know ticketing to marketing. Who I you know I basically I was with the marketing department. Um, so all of the little bits and pieces you just you you've got you know in your head. And now you kind of put it into one big pie and sort yeah. of okay, this is how this works, right? And yeah. you know where you're, you know you. I think having been there for you know eight years and or, or nine years or whatever doing the web um i knew the right people to go to talk to yeah uh, which was invaluable like okay can we do this and you know hr would say yeah no that's all good you know that kind of thing so um the one thing that you don't have is is through negotiation skills i suppose to do contracts for coaches and and things like that but um you know that's learn on your feet and talk to the other GMs and say, you know, what do you guys do in these situations kind of thing? And, you know, don't be afraid to ask questions, which was natural for me anyways, because I always been a reporter. If I, if I was going to defend the media people in manager in, in 
pro sport management. The one thing that, well, you you know, you didn't play, you were never a professional player. Okay, fine. But the thing that I think good reporters bring that other businesses don't have is problem solving. And, and that's chasing stories, reporting stories. But I'm always flabbergasted with people who go, oh, how do I get a hold of somebody? What do you mean, how do you get a hold of somebody? There's a million different ways to figure out how to get a hold of somebody, right? Like, I, I think that, don't you feel that, that that ability to kind of problem solve that you would learn or have to do as a journalist serves you well? Well, I think I, I think you're always, um, as a journalist, you're, you're, you're asking questions all the time. So um, it becomes natural to ask those questions and find yeah. the answers. So uh, I think that's probably probably one of the, the big things. Um, you know, you, you work on bigger stories and you need more pieces. And, you know, hey, we've got a little, you know, we've got an issue over here because we uh, need to fact check this or things like that. So I think you... You're, you become thorough in what you do um, as a reporter. Did you? We often ask a, a player, an NHL player, for instance, you're welcome to the NHL moment. What was your welcome to being a general manager moment, Mike? Oh, man. Uh, it was a busy summer, that first summer, and we opened the season in Toronto. Mm-hmm. Um, and very good team, and, you know, I was – know it was the very first game um for me as a gm and we won and i got into the dressing room and they give out a game ball and so i'm i'm still learning and sort of going okay how's the dressing room operate and things like that and uh the coach at the time dave pym sort of goes he goes through a couple players says yeah you had a real nice game greatest balls blah 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 he says tonight's game ball goes to mike board and he throws me this lacrosse ball catch it and then the team just mobs whoever gets the game ball. So I'm being mobbed by all these players. And I'm going, okay, I can get used to this. This is kind of fun, you know, winning and celebrating and all those kind of things. So I think that was sort of when it hit home. I still have that I still have that game sheet somewhere. I know I saved it. Yeah. So how how did your peers react? What was it like getting to you know work with other general managers, work with other, you know, executives from around the league? Um, you know what? It was it, it was it was good. Like, like there wasn't really, it was all done internally. Like it wasn't like somebody had contacted the, you know, the flames when they had bought the team to say, I want to apply for the GM job. It was yeah. kind of already done. Um, so I don't think, you know, there were, you know, guys weren't bitter, but they knew I was a rookie for sure. So they were going to try and take advantage in trades and, sure. and things like that. Sure. But, um, you know, we had, um, Kurt Miloski was was the assistant GM at the time anyway. And so I'd call him and I'd, I'd sort of go, I don't like this guy's stats. This guy wants a second round for him. I said, that's got to be way too high. And he says, that guy's not worth a fifth round pick. So don't even bother. Yeah. So there were a couple of those. But for the most part, you uh, you go out and you earn your respect. And, you know, you uh, you work hard. And, and you know, when we joined, I, I joined two of the league committees right away. And, and uh listened a lot at first sure. and then actually you know express your opinions and and ease your way into the situation and and like you say gain that respect two, two things that come out of that one is and tree talks about this all the time there's a sale on anchors like he you know <laughs> like that's that's general managers yeah. right hey did you know we got a sale on anchors um <laughs> the other part is you would have worked trade deadlines with me we would have talked about trades and everything what was it like 
and and I don't I'm not trying to make light of it because you know in in media it's real easy to take this commodity and trade it for that commodity. You're not responsible for the housing, you're not responsible for their next meal, any of that. Now you're dealing with somebody's life in a way, like their professional life. What was that transition like, Mike, having to make those transactions? You know, it uh, the the very first trade we made was a bit of a blockbuster, but it didn't involve me trading a player. So I didn't have to talk to a player and say, hey, I've traded you to gotcha. a team. Yeah. He acquired a player, gave up a draft pick, and got a draft pick along with that other player. So it was... You know, it was talking to that player that was coming to us, which was a bit different. Uh, the first trade I did uh, was a goalie. Actually, Nick Rose, we had three goalies, uh, all of them very good. And Toronto called and had a goalie injury and needed a goalie. Um, Nick Rose happened to be from the Toronto area. We couldn't carry three goalies. It wasn't going to work. Yep. Um, so that was the first guy who I actually had to call and say, you've been traded. Mm-hmm. Um, but it wasn't it wasn't a bad call because the kid was kind of going home, right? He was, he was from the Toronto area and Orangeville and he was going to be playing in Toronto. So that was, that was okay. Some others have gone, you know, not, not as well, but yep. uh, you learn to, um, it's a little bit like the scene in Moneyball where the guy says, you're going to tell a guy he's going somewhere. You, you get in and out. If they have questions, you quickly answer them and, you know, yep. like treat them as professionals and, you know, um, give them the number of the GM they got to call. So um, over time, you get better at it. At first, you kind of get this pit in your stomach to say, what's this going to do to this person? But yeah. um, you know, they are, everyone's resilient enough to, to know the business, right? So right. Uh, I think it becomes, uh, it becomes a little bit easier. What's the one thing that surprised you about being the general manager? That's a good question too. Um, I I think there's so much multitasking uh, going on I, that you're juggling a lot of balls, and you know we're we're we look after. I get involved on the business side, and then you know you know help out on the public relations side. You know to get make sure players are on board and all those kind of things. So I'm, I kind of got my fingers in a lot of pie. I think the biggest toughest thing I do is budgeting. Um, like it's a process and it's, it's not an exact science, but I remember the first couple that we did and, you know, yeah, you present to the flames ownership group and I mean, I was sweating bullets. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you're like, yeah. Oh yeah. You think of the Murray Edwards and that, you know, these, these businessmen who look at this kind of stuff all the time and it's pretty new to me. Um, I, that was probably the, the toughest hurdle to to get across yeah you know i i I mentioned it a couple times that for me the biggest transition has been coming in and just assuming there was a closet at the end of the hall with bags of money and you just go down to the closet you get the bags of money that's that's how this works like that's i don't know why i thought that but that's what i thought and it's it it couldn't be any further from the truth and 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 i don't want to portray it as well they're being they're not they're asking legitimate questions like it's it's real world, real, they have to be, because you can see how you can get into trouble if you don't. Yes, absolutely. And and you know what? It's, you never take it personally. Yeah. It's, it's, it's about doing the right thing. Okay, if we do this and we spend this, what's our return on investment? Yeah. You know, how does this all piece together? 
and you know you you I, I remember double checking and triple checking and quadruple checking numbers to make sure that they were right and because when you have the the right data you can answer the question properly yep. and what you don't want to do is be in those types of meetings and guess at an answer um, and and it'd be wrong so you know you do your research and 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 I think I think the second one was much easier the third one you know again a little bit easier because you you've been part of that process but um, you know you have to say the owners are the owners are spending the money for one but two they're not they're not nasty about it like it's it's not no. it's not like that at all it's no. it's they want what's best for the team right and right they want what's best for you know the on floor product and you know the ticket sales and the the marketing side and and all of those things coming in together um it's a it's a really interesting process to go through because there's so many different parts in a sports business um, you know, from the ticketing side to the marketing side to the retail side, food and beverage, yep. um, resources, tech, like all of that. <laughs> and they're, you know, they're looking at that in a macro where I'm only doing my little roughneck thing. Yeah. And it's, 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 it's a great process. I used to dread those days and now I, I kind of go in and go, I'm going to learn something today. Yeah. Well, I, I'm guilt. I was guilty in my old, previous life of romanticizing pro sport that oh all you looked at was this right you see that small game result you know go spend that money they should give him all of that money do that <laughs> you know it's real easy yeah. when you're not accountable for it when you're not looking at all of the other things that go into it and and i think we as fans we became a little more educated with the salary cap that you really do mm-hmm. have to look at things beyond one season there's you know but but i that's a big wake up call for me is that we romantic the media romanticizes sport or has in the past romanticized what owning and running a sports team is. Yeah, it's almost. I mean, now you get more. I don't know. It would, I don't know how to <clears throat> exactly how to classify them, but you'd, you'd sort of say there's more business sports writers. Yes, where we for sure. Cover games. For sure. <clears throat> now there's people who do the business of sport itself. Yeah. Um, so I think that has changed a little bit, but. It's um, you know Al McNeil, you know yep. longtime flame and all around great guy. Actually, um, he said to me, he said, "Brody, I can give you some advice." He says, "Spend the money like it's your own." Yep. And I went, "Okay, that makes sense, right?" Yeah, it so does. It, 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 it really, I always kept that in my head no, as a as a thought. It it really does because we know where it stops. Mm. Like we know where the buck stops. Like <laughs> exactly <laughs> like that. We know that. Um, I mentioned off the top, you are the defending NLL champions. That was your first championship as a GM, correct? Yes. Yeah. What was that? Because the one thing, and I think you would agree, um, championships are not about the buzzer going off and you get a trophy. Championships are about journeys. And that's what you remember. You remember all of the trials and tribulations. Your particular championship, Mike, as a general manager, was a very interesting journey, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. We uh, we were sort of I don't know a pretender for a lot of that season. Mm-hmm. Um, we added some pieces and you know a critical piece in a at the draft in a trade that we felt was was going to be a big impact in a in a kid named Jesse King and he got hurt in training camp. Yep, and we didn't have him and you know we had a young goalie. Um, <clears throat> we had we had a lot of 
things that had to fall in place. And Jesse came back with four games left in the regular season, and we didn't lose a game after that. And it was just, it was just a, that final, it was almost like the final piece of the puzzle actually fit mm-hmm. and off they went on a roll and the confidence and all the hard work that the other guys had put in, in, you know, throughout the season and, you know, everyone had battled injuries and things right. like that. All just, they all just got pushed aside when they saw mm-hmm. the light at the end of the tunnel. And, you know, <clears throat> we went into San Diego as underdogs and, and won that game came back, had a really tight game against Colorado. And um, I think it ended up one of the lowest scoring games I've been involved in. It was eight, five. Yep. Uh, you know, we go to Buffalo play probably our best game overall game of the season in Buffalo to get game one. And that was, that was massive. And I think at that point, our guys were like, this is ours to lose, if you will. Yep. And that was their journey was, you know, oh man, we're we're struggling here, and like we lost some, we we lost poor, like badly, like we were we we'd lose twenty one ten, yep, and you know, things like that throughout the season. But that that you know that adversity that they gone through and all the the tough times, they could sort of see that the light at the end of the tunnel. We didn't make it easy. We went to overtime in the in you know in the final game, but um, and I do remember saying to uh, one of our players, I said, man, you guys don't make it easy. Supporty, there was no way we were going back for, to Buffalo for another game. Yeah. So they had it. That that was kind of their their attitude. So I think was, you might. Uh, I think you're glossing it a little over too, because if I remember correctly, did you not give up the tying goal in the last minute before going oh yeah. overtime? Like, oh yeah. Yeah. And like, then then we lost the draw, the first draw in overtime. which yep. Possession is everything in overtime because it's sudden death. Yep. We had it was it was like a fire drill. Um, you know, they took a shot. It looks like our goalie has it under control. Our guys start breaking out of the zone. The ball pops out of his equipment into one of their sticks. They get two more shots when it's basically three on one. And I'm, I'm thinking, what are we doing down there? <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Way up in the press box. It's, it's easy in the press box as we know, but, uh, what are we doing down there? Anyway, um, recovered, got the ball, went down and, and hit a post and, uh, one of our Jesse King picks up the rebound and fires it out to Reese Dutch, who we uh, acquired uh, basically for free. He was a he was a he got cut by another team and uh, he buried the winner right there. Yeah. So a lot of neat little stories and sidelines and 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 a great story about a bunch of guys coming together. Pretty much a 500 team going in the postseason, right? Right around 500. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, we were. Or we we were uh, might have been ten and eight. Ten and eight, yeah. Run at the end of the season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So those I I don't know. I mean, I guess you could have gone, you know, sixteen and two, and it still feel the same way. But there is something to be said about the being the proverbial underdog and and you know, kind of blowing everybody's expectation out of the water. Yeah, I think you know, like Buffalo had gone. uh, Gosh, I think they might have been. 13 and five or 12 and six or something like they were mm-hmm. heavy favorites and our guys just didn't pay attention to it. It was kind of neat. Like they just, yep. it was about themselves and what they could do, which was, that's the big part of the journey and, and having them believe in each other and, you know, pushing together as a team, everybody, you know, whatever role the coaches asked, they took 
And, you know, that's, I, I think that's rare in sports to see something like that. Like it was a pleasure to watch it evolve. If you, and I don't know what the circumstance would be, but if, let's say somehow next year you're back working at the Post Media as a beat writer. What would being a general manager have taught you and how would it influence you as a media person, do you think? Hmm. I'd probably have more insight to ask the right questions. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, I know what that looks like. Um, but <clears throat> I think, I think getting, I, if I was to do it again, I'd probably try and get as a reporter to get to know the person who is the GM a little more uh, to understand where they're coming from. I think um, particularly in the big sports where, you know, the GM's under fire because he doesn't make a trade yeah, or yeah. whatever. There's, there's stories behind those, and it's not that the GM never tried to get the trade done. It just wasn't going to fit. And sometimes that happens, and it never, like, you don't often hear the story behind that trade that happened or the one that didn't happen. That's right. And I think those are those are neat stories that could be told. Ken King often said to me, there's a great book to be written about what never happened. Right. Well, I would agree. <laughs> you know, like it's it's craziness. The names that have come up doesn't matter the team, but the names that have come up that were talked about that may have gotten halfway down the road or whatever. But if it doesn't go all the way down, it never happened. And right. And, and it's, you're absolutely right. Like there isn't a circumstance in sport that something happens. and You go, geez, well, what really happened, which is a beautiful way for me to get into this part, because. Uh, we were able, we've talked about this, but we've watched a couple of things that have been really enlightening here. One was Michael Jordan and the last dance, um, which yeah. was an incredible, you know, because we all lived it. We all saw it. And then we saw this thing in such a different light. Right. Yes. And now it was Michael Jordan's light, but we saw it from his eyes, yeah. which was fascinating. And everybody's talked about that. The one that you and I are absolutely head over heels about is another one. And I wouldn't have watched it if I had not watched the last dance. And that was Sunderland till I die on Netflix, two seasons of that. And we're like little schoolgirls talking about this show. Like, but two guys who are now in you're you're in professional, I'm in major junior. It's incredible to watch that show. Absolutely incredible. Yeah. The, the, well, the access in, in The yes. Last Dance was pretty good too, but the access that that Sunderland Soccer Club gave to football club, sorry, uh, gave to uh, to their to the Netflix crew was it was unbelievable. I couldn't believe some of the stuff, no. right? No. And, and it's not hard to, knocks. To, it's to not twenty four seven. It's so much better. To Ken King's point, there's stories being told that weren't going to get told in Sunderland till I die. Like it's. I I was uh, I watched the first season and I and, and uh, it was Peter Stewart uh, works yep. down in yep. Carlo Petrini's department and he had said, "Or you should you should watch this Sunderland until I die." And uh, honestly, I came home that night and I watched the first episode. And I went, "I'll be watching the rest of this." Yep. So I, I found it fascinating that behind the scenes and what I really liked about it too was was they had fans engaged in this program and like interviewed them at various stages and like it was well thought out to give you a perspective on what that football club means to Sunderland yep and and the passion of the the fans just like I was I was amazed at it and how much they cared and you know they all had an opinion of course but it was I, I you know I found it interesting and 
knowing the passion of that fan base, the way the club reacted in some situations, I was like, wow, I'm not sure you should be doing that. But anyway, it's but, again. But, you know, it's funny. You went to the fans, and I agree. But even the staff, like the, 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 the chef, like she's throughout the two years, she is so representative of people you and I work with and see in the building. They, yes. they, they, yeah. They're working in a, a very important role in the building, but their heart is with the team. They really want the team to do well. We see that. Like, I just cannot believe how authentic it is, and yet it is an unmitigated disaster. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like every- they have that, that to, to jump on, pile on on yeah. it, is that they had such passionate staff and people who cared. Yep. They weren't able to get the results is is a little bit shocking, right? Because Heartbreaking, really. You mentioned the chef. I love that the lady chef. She was awesome. She really was. And did she care about those players? Like like it was unbelievable. If they had have seen how she cared for the players and they actually executed some of that, they might have been better off. But like, she, she I don't want to spoil it for everybody. No, no, but, well, no spoilers. She reminds me so much of a, a, a particular security person that we have that yes. just sounds exactly the same way, cares the exact yeah. same way. And, and, and I can't, to me, the, the, and, and you know I've kind of talked about this, I think some of the finest television I've ever seen is in the second season. I think the first season is stronger than the second season, but I think in the second season, um, we talked about trade deadlines before, that sequence, and we won't give away what happens, but the, the sequence that they show in one particular episode around a, the end of a transfer window is everything that I always thought was happening at NHL trade deadlines. And, yeah. and, and, and here it was playing out on screen. And, you know, I, I don't know if we'll ever see a season number three. I don't know how that particular ownership group would allow that. But, um, you know, for two <laughs> guys. Not, but, right? For two but guys who work around. Right. That that uh, that insight on uh, the transfer window and trade deadline, as as it were, that was that was a good one. That was a that that was true insight, and like they were right inside there the whole time. You know, and, and you so, said to me when we were talking about it, you said like, "What if you did that, Bordy? What if you did what happened there?" Uh, well, I would probably not be talking to you as a general manager of the Roughnecks. No, not a freaking chance. <laughs> not a freaking chance. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I can't recommend it enough. I mean, this, this quarantine has been hard on all of us, but that's the one bright spot is that I somehow stumbled onto this thing. Uh, and I don't know if it's because I, we work in sport or around sport. I would hope that everybody would, to me, um, the thing that I took away from it was how much of it transfers. Because you're right, it's football, it's English football, it's about relegation, neither of which, you know, we're involved with. But so much more of it is, you know, the connection to fans, the the staff, the job, um, you know, and, and just how people treat other people. It's it's mind it's it's mind blowing. It really is. Yeah, I think I, I I don't think you have to be a soccer or football fan to to enjoy it. Um, I think if you are a sports person, yeah. you will thoroughly enjoy that show. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. All right, sir, um, we've gone through one battery and a lot of stories, so I got one more <laughs> question for you. Uh, it's the same question I ask all my friends, or, uh, well, yeah, all my friends. 
Um, no parameters. Mike Board, give me your hidden Calgary gem. Oh, my hidden Calgary gem. Uh, it's not really a hidden gem. Um, <clears throat> I I tend to like the Glenbow Museum. Hey, okay. So very cool. <clears throat> there's so many things to do in Calgary. I mean, yeah, the river, the fishing, the. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I I do like wandering through the museum every once in a while. That is really cool. Hey, Bordy, thanks for doing this. It takes me back to a time, uh, you know, sitting at Shanks and BSing and solving <laughs> the world's problems. This was a lot of fun, but I, I, I hope I've said it to you before. If I haven't, I, I'm so damn proud of you. When you got the job, to me, it was like, yeah, we won. Like, one of us. He's one of us. There he is. He'll show us. And then you win a championship. See? We're not just media scum. We can do this. So I'm proud of well, you, pal. that's great. I appreciate it. I appreciate all your support. I mean, <laughs> even when you're back on the radio, you give me a call and we could have chats. So it was awesome. Bordy. Oh, loved it. Loved every minute of it. There's some great stories in there. Um, I love the idea of a media person getting into management. Um, you know, we've, we've had quite a bit of it. Um, as we mentioned in the podcast here in Calgary with Mike Petrie and, and Chris Snow and, and Mike Board, um, there's lots of uh, broadcasters that are former players that, that make that transition, but uh, Bordy's kind of unique, but as you heard, full circle, because he, he was big, you know, big into, uh, big into lacrosse growing up. And how about the Wayne Gretzky story right at the beginning? That one I didn't know. That was the, the reason I love doing this podcast was stories like that. Uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, take a look. If you didn't catch some of our recent ones, Deb Matichka was awesome. Glenn Campbell was awesome. Uh, we spent some time with Riley Many Bears. Uh, we spent some time with Akeem Haynes. All worthwhile. Go to Spotify, uh, subscribe, Apple Podcasts, subscribe. And if you like it, tell a friend. Tell a friend. Uh, as we get into the summer here, we're probably going to slow down a little bit, but I think we're going to still try to keep doing these conversations. Um, the uptake has been fantastic. I'm Rob Kerr. This has been an original six-week conversation podcast here at SportCalgary.ca.